Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. Heavenly Father, thank you for this group that you've gathered today. I pray Deuteronomy chapter 4, you gather people, cause us to hear from heaven. I just confess, because of your word, Colossians 1, 6, and 7, fruit is born in our heart from the very moment that the word goes in. Lord, your words, Hebrews 4, are quick and powerful, and they are life-giving, and they divide our soul and our spirit. We just thank you for that. We receive everything that you have for us today. Would you just say that in your heart? Father, I receive everything that you have for me today. In the name of our Lord and our best friend, Jesus, amen and amen. We're in a series we began last week entitled Generation Adjusters. How many of you can look around and realize that we live in a generation that needs some adjusting? We live in a very selfish generation. We live in a very self-centered generation. We live in a very self-serving generation. We live in a generation who is ever growing farther and farther away from the Lord. And, and I heard a minister say the other day, he thinks we could be one generation away from uh, raising children and, and that don't even know the Lord. That's why I'm so proud of all of our young people and all of our college students. Can we encourage all of our college students this morning? They're in a very tough environment. Very tough environment on the universities. It's anti-religion. It's, for the most part, anti-God. And they are standing firm and walking faith. And it is not easy to stand up for the Lord on the university campus. So we admire you. We applaud you. But I believe the Lord has a calling for us to be generation adjusters. Because the subtitle, Reaching Them Tomorrow, requires my life today. What a sobering thought. That reaching the generation of tomorrow requires... All of me today, my sacrifice today, my commitment today. We started 21 days of consecration last week where we're asking you for 21 days to increase your prayer, increase your fasting. How's the fasting going for everyone? Okay, all right. That's about what I thought. (laughs) If you were not here last week and didn't know this and don't check Facebook or email and you live in a cave, then we've started 21 days of prayer and fasting. So we invite you to join us to jump in today. Jump in in giving your life to the Lord. We talked about consecration is a setting apart for something special. It's an intense dedication. And that's what we're asking you to do. And so let's turn to Psalm 78. And for time's sake, I've skipped a few verses. We're going to start, I think, verse 6. Psalm 78 and verse 6. I backed into this on accident. As I mentioned last week, I was writing a thank you note to someone, and I wanted an encouraging scripture. And I know all the scriptures I know, and none of them were clicking. None of them were doing it for me. And I thought, well, I need an encouraging scripture. So I jumped on Google, typed in encouraging Bible verses. Big list came up. That's how I get words of God for you, by the way, is I just put it in Google. Yeah. I mean, sometimes Google gets it right. Sometimes Google gets it wrong. But I Googled the verse, and this came up, and I, I, I didn't remember this. I hadn't seen this, and the Lord really sparked something in my heart. And I believe this has changed me, Pastor Rick. I believe this has changed me in my family, in the way I view my children, the way I view our church and our ministry and our calling. So let's begin reading in verse 6. I'm just going to follow along on the screen. We're going to obey the statutes of God so the next generation. Somebody say next generation. So the next generation would know them, the statutes and decrees of God, the ways of God, even the children yet to be born. It's not just me and my children. It's our children even yet to be born, my grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. And that they would in turn tell their children. Notice there's a pattern. When a generation walks with God, there's a better chance the next generation will walk with God. Now look at verse 7. That they would put their trust in God. They would not forget his deeds, but they would keep all of his commands. And this is why, for verse 8 tells us this. Verse 8 says that they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation. But their hearts, and, and their hearts were not loyal to God, and their spirits were not faithful to him. So we have a calling to pass on the things of God so the next generation will be faithful to God, so their hearts will be in line and in tune with him. And we begin to give you last week four gems to being a generation adjuster. Jamie and Hannah, the alliteration has not stopped. It's only improved. Hallelujah. We gave you four, as you'll see it on the screen, Jared, four gems to being a generation adjuster. Number one, last week we talked about give yourself wholly to the Lord. Give yourself wholly to the Lord. The thing about God is he's a jealous God. 
Look at your neighbor and say, he is a jealous God. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want just half of you. He wants all. He doesn't want a part of you. He doesn't want your two hours of your life on Sunday mornings. He wants all of you. He wants all of your children. My children that I have, four, almost five. Jamie and Hannah are trying to catch me. <laughs> They've got th- two and a half, amen. I've got, I've got four children, five, one on the way. They're not my children. They belong to God. They belong to the Lord. So we talked about giving yourself wholly to the Lord. Dwight Moody made this statement famous. He said, the world has not yet seen a man or woman fully consecrated unto the Lord. We talked about Paul was set apart for the gospel. We talked about being set apart and honorable, useful for the master's work. We talked about this requires more of him and less of me. Giving myself wholly to the Lord, it's the first step in being a generation adjuster. Giving ourselves as an act of worship. Romans 12 says, me presenting my body to God is actually my act of worship. Worship is not just what we do on Sundays, but worship is presenting our life to the Lord. And then we talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. All four Gospels declare, Jesus said, I will come and fill you with the Holy Spirit. And we look at the book of Acts, and time and time and time again, they were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit, and they adjusted a generation. And if we're going to do the same, we must give ourselves to God, and we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to jump into number two today, and this is going to make everybody in the house so happy. Number two is get closer to God. And the way we're going to talk about getting closer to God today is through fasting, Aren't you excited that you came to church today? We're going to talk about fasting and what that looks like and why is it important. Do we need to do this? Is it something that helps us? Is it beneficial? How many of you would be honest and just be honest and say you are a little bit nervous and a little bit apprehensive when the Bible talks about fasting? Anybody honest in the room? Yeah, amen. Me too. Me too. And for years, honestly, I avoided fasting like I felt the Lord leading me. Because I, I thought, well, you know what? I work a job, and I can't just sit around and pray all day, so I'm just going to be at work and, and be hungry. And, and, and you know what? It's so much more than that. The Lord began to change my heart on fasting. And I knew fasting was something you needed to do when you had a big decision to make, like who you're going to marry. How many you know you should fast and pray when you decide who you're going to marry? Or if you're changing jobs, moving cities. Uh, Robin, if you're moving cities, I think you should pray and fast in a couple of years. I'm just saying Knoxville's a great home. We can't lose any more PhD students. Amen. We need you all to stick around. But when you, we should pray and we should fast, not just for big decisions. But I want to teach you today that prayer and fasting was actually a part of the early church culture. And we've lost a little bit of, of the meaning of that. So let's turn to Mark chapter 3. Look at your neighbor and just say, you can do this. <laughs> Aren't you glad we had communion before we talked about fasting? <laughs> that communion was awful good, man. Not had a lot of bread this week, praise God. I want all the leftovers in the back. And he appointed 12, Mark three fourteen, so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach or to do ministry. Daniel 11.32 says, those that know their God will be strong and do great exploits. Let's keep this up for just a second. Those who know their God will be strong and do great exploits. What does this verse have to do with fasting? Because Jesus called the apostles to himself, number one, first, that they would be with him. And then after they were with him, he could send them out to do. So many Christians want to go out and do and go out. And, and do ministry and do work for the Lord, but they don't want to spend the time being with Him. Your, your public ministry will only be as effective as your private intimacy with the Lord. So when we talk about fasting, we talk about getting closer to God. It is God's heart to be close to you. It is God's heart, to His desire to be so close to you. It was the calling of Jesus. Private intimacy determines public power. And it's one of the greatest ways that we can draw near the Lord is in, in giving ourselves to consecration and fasting. Look at this PowerPoint for life. I've already said it, but it helps to read it. I personally believe now, after the Lord has worked with me and dealt with me and helped me along this, I believe regular fasting. Somebody say regular. I believe regular fasting. And I'm not talking about midnight to 7 a.m. I believe regular fasting. That's when you're asleep, by the way, for those of you who didn't get that. I believe regular fasting should be a part of every believer's spiritual walk and discipline. 
should be a regular part of our discipline. So let's just jump into this this morning. We're going to define fasting, and I want to bring some clarity uh, because there is a little bit of a difference. And just for technical terms, I want to give you what fasting means. Fasting actually means to shut the mouth, to close the mouth. And that's what it means. And so, you know, I have said before, well, I'm fasting media or Facebook or, and all those things. I understand that what we're doing is we're abstaining. I want you to know there is, there is a biblical difference. Abstaining is good. This week I've been abstaining from sports talk and I've been abstaining from news talk as a part of my consecration. I'm listening to podcasts and sermons and worship music. But fasting is in relationship to food. It literally means in the Hebrew to close the mouth, to shut the mouth. Now, let me just make this important note as we get into this, Joseph, that fasting does not make God love you more. If we lined everybody up in the room and said, these people fast, these people don't, and God is walking down the aisle saying whom he loves, fasting does not make God love you more. Fasting does not make you, uh, does not bring more of God's blessings into your life. Now, let me explain. Your life will have more blessings and more fruit as you fast, but it's because you are aligning yourself with what God wants to do. Fasting is not works. You have to be very careful that, well, you know, I'm, I'm sick and I need a miracle, so I'm going to fast so God will heal me. We've got to be very careful that we don't get into working for healing. Well, if I can just fast enough or give enough or just pray enough, maybe God will meet my need. So yes, we fast, but it's not because we're trying to earn something from God. It's because we realize how much God loves us and we want to draw close to Him. Because the Bible declares in James chapter 4, when we draw close to God, He draws close to us. I remember in middle school, there was a little girl that I had a little liking on and a little fancy towards and she did not reciprocate those feelings and so uh, we were at lunch and I sat down and then she scooted over one seat and then I was like oh she must what is she doing so I'd scoot over again trying to sit beside her and she would look at me and she would scoot over to another seat and finally I got the hint she doesn't want to sit beside me and so I got the hint as I was drawing close to her it, was not, it wasn't going the same way. That's not the way it is with the Lord. When you draw close to God, He doesn't scoot one seat over. Can I have an amen? He jumps in your lap. He picks you up, puts you on His lap. God advances towards you as you advance towards Him. So this is presenting our life to God through consecration, through fasting. Uh, because fasting alone, there's no merit. Judaism, Islam, all, all kinds of things. New Age, there's all kinds of New Age teachings on cleansing yourself and, and aligning yourself with your inner person. And, and fasting alone is not in, innately spiritual, but you can turn it into something God can use, and we're going to walk you through that this morning. So um, let me give you just one testimony here concerning fasting as we get into some functions of fasting. This was a number of years ago, and this, this will help you in, in your mind as you approach fasting. I was, I had a, a challenge in my body and it was, I thought it maybe was a kidney stone, maybe a UTI. I was having terrible pain when I would go to the restroom. It was just extremely, extremely painful. And I worked at a jewelry store and, you know, I had to work eight, 10 hours a day. And, uh, I would not drink water. I would not drink anything because it was so painful when I'd have to go to the restroom and it just really happened. And I was working and then trying to get into the, you know, Hey, I need to go to the doctor and all this. And, and I remember just, it was so painful. I don't know what was going on. I don't know if it's a kidney stone. I'm not sure. And I just sensed in my heart, the Lord say, I want you to fast your lunch today. I want you to go, instead of taking your 45 minute lunch break, I want you to worship today. I want you to pray today. And it, it had nothing to do with my problem. I didn't connect that to my challenge, my health issue. I just knew in my heart, the Lord was saying, come away with me today. Has God ever asked you, come away with me for this time? Come away and spend time with me. So I said, well, okay, I'll do it. So I went 45 minutes, clocked out, went and sat in the car, just worshiped and prayed and, and had a great time with the Lord. Just I felt like the, the Lord really ministered to me and went back in and was getting ready to clock in, went to the restroom and did what you do in the restroom. And I was just sitting there washing my hands and it, and it dawned on me. There was no pain. I would hate going to the restroom. Like I would rather get drug around the yard by a rope or something. I mean, just avoided it. Just went in, used the restroom, washing my hands, and I looked over and thought, I didn't have any pain. Totally healed. Never had those symptoms again. Never had any problems again. And God wasn't, I, did, I didn't go, I'm going to go fast my dinner so God will heal me. He called me to be with him. 
And then in his presence is fullness of joy. I was totally, completely healed from that moment. And I know it's because I obeyed. I was obedient. And I fasted just to get away with the Lord. And it put me in position to receive from God. And so let's talk about some functions this morning of fasting. I want to give you just a few functions of fasting. This is going to help you. Number one, fasting was a common practice in the Old and New Testament. We need to understand that. We'll just briefly touch on this. Fasting was very common in the Old New Testament. We see the very first fast was on the Day of Atonement. You may have heard of uh, Yom Kippur. There was one day a year when the priests would go make atonement for the sins of the people. God commanded those people to fast. We also see in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at Ezra, we see public fast. Like as a church, we've called a public fast. We've asked you to do this. Sometimes you fast and it's individually. Sometimes there's a public fast. Look with me at Ezra chapter 8. This is such a powerful passage of Scripture. So I proclaimed a fast at the river that we might humble ourselves before God and to seek Him for a safe journey for us. So they're getting ready to travel. Let me set this up for you. The people of God have been in captivity for 70 years. The people of God were captive by the Babylonians. They've been in captivity for 70 years. And now uh, Ezra is about to lead them back to their homeland. He's about to lead multitudes and multitudes of people back to Israel, to their homeland. He says, so I proclaimed a fast that we would humble ourselves before God. We would seek Him for a safe journey for us. We would seek Him for our little ones and our possessions. So there are times in our life when we need to fast for direction. We need to fast for wisdom. We need to fast for our children and their walk with God. The generation yet to come needs me to fast and pray so I can align myself with God as a generation adjuster. Look at verse 22. For I was ashamed to request from the king. This is so honest and so open and transparent. So get this picture here. He, he's... Babylon has agreed to let them go, and you need to read that whole story about how that came to pass. But he says, I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemies on the way because we had said to the king, the hand of God is favorably disposed upon all who seek him by his power and his, and his anger are against all those who forsake him. So I've been bragging on God. I'm afraid to ask for a bodyguard. I've been bragging on God's power, and I'm ashamed to ask for help from the king. So what did we do? We fasted about it. We humbled ourselves to seek the Lord for protection and direction. Look at verse 23. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty. He heard our prayers. And what a powerful testimony that is. Let me just encourage you, before you make any major decision, I would spend some time fasting and praying. So number one, the first thing we see is fasting was demonstrated in the Old, and, and we'll look at New Testament passages where fasting is brought over. Number two, I love this one. This helps me. Fasting is invitational. It's not a requirement. You can be a good Christian. You can love God. You can go to heaven and never fast a day of your life. And how many of you are glad that that promise is in there? Some of you, yes, amen. Because fasting doesn't make God love you. Fasting aligns your heart to seeking the Lord. So fasting is invitational. It's never commanded in the New Testament. But, somebody say but, as we'll look later. Matthew chapter 6 says, when you pray, and how many of you think you should pray? Matthew chapter 6 says, when you give, and how many of you think you should give? I need a few more hands on that one. <laughs> Let's try it again. How many of you think you should give? <laughs> Amen. And then Matthew chapter 6 also says, when you fast. We give a lot of weight to praying. We give a lot of weight to giving. Do we give equal weight to fasting? There's no divider in Matthew chapter 6. It says when you pray, when you give, when you fast. The reason it's not commanded is because it was assumed. It was implied the followers of Jesus will fast. As a matter of fact... Paul, in his ministry, writing to one of his spiritual sons in the faith, he said, the way that you can validate that I'm a minister of Jesus is through my fasting. How many of you have put that on your minister's credentials? The founder of the Methodist church would not ordain a member to be a minister in the Methodist church if they did not fast two days a week. Now, again, I'm not putting that on you. I'm not saying you need to fast every day or two days or three days. But I'm saying if we're honest with the scripture, it says, when you pray, how many think we should pray? 
It says, when you give, how many think we should give? And it also says, when you fast. So there's no dividing line. As a matter of fact, Matthew chapter 3, I love this. Jesus, if, how many of you have been reading with us in our daily Bible reading? I saw something I'd never seen before in Matthew 3 and 4. So powerful. Jesus uh, started his ministry. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit led him into a fast. And then Satan came and tempted him. And he had the power to overcome the temptation of the devil because he was filled with the Spirit. He had been fasting. And then he started his ministry. There's the progression for your walk with God. Filled with the Spirit. He went on a fast. He resisted temptation. He did great miracles and mighty works. He started his ministry. Never seen that before, Joseph, in that progression until this week. So I want to just invite you today. Fasting is invitational. But can can I be honest with you? As one who has been fasting on a regular basis now since about October... I'm not telling you that to be seen of men. I'm telling you that to teach you, as one who's been fasting one day a week, mostly, I think one week I didn't do it, but for the most part, one day a week I've been giving myself to the Lord in fasting since the beginning of October. It is worth the invitation. I've heard many of you say, man, our services have been so great. Man, your preaching's even gotten better. I ain't doing anything different. Nothing's changed except I'm drawn more closer to the Lord. And you guys are pressing in. Fasting is worth the invitation. Can I have an amen? amen. All right, number three, we're going to go through these real, real speedily today. Number three, fasting is a grace. Fasting is a grace. When you set your heart to seek the Lord and you dedicate to fasting, God will step in and give you a grace. He helps us in our weakness. I want to connect something that maybe you've never seen before. This is fresh revelation today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Love this passage. Love this verse. It says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. Say that with me. Start with, and he has said. Ready? And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. When am I at the weakest point? When I'm fasting. Right? When am I at the weakest? Maybe mentally, maybe physically, maybe emotionally. How many of you know hangry is a real thing? Can I have an amen? <laughs> All the fasters know what I'm talking about. You know what hangry is when you're hungry and you're angry because you're hungry and you need a Snickers bar because you're not yourself? You know, see all that? Notice this my strength is made perfect in weakness here. My grace is sufficient. Most gladly, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Now, notice this here, verse 10. For I'm well content. Fasting teaches you contentment. Fasting teaches you joy. Fasting teaches you thankfulness. I was doing the Daniel fast this week, and I have never in my life been as thankful for Earth Fair as I've been this week. I've been so thankful. I'm like, I couldn't wait to go to Earth Fair because, man, they have vegetables and they have all this stuff and it's all healthy and and you can load up your plate by the pound, but be careful because they charge you by the pound. The first time I went in there, I thought, I'm going to have to get a second mortgage to pay for my lunch today, praise God, because I was so hungry. And I was like, I want more beads and I want more rice and I want more of this stuff. And I was like, ooh, that is a lot of money for one lunch. And and having to let it have much to do with the sermon, but I just wanted to confess it to you today. So I'm well content. People who fast on a regular basis are more content. And that's something we could use in America. Can I have an amen? I'm content with weakness, with insults, distress, persecutions, difficulties. For Christ's sake, when I'm weak, I'm then strong. This summarizes fasting. I'm at my weakest when I'm fasting, but that's when God is at his strongest in my life. So not only does fasting... Help us in our weakness because it's a grace. Number four, the fourth function of fasting is it actually strengthens my body, my soul, and my spirit. We won't take much time on these three, but I want you to see this. You are a triune being. You have a body which houses your spirit, and you have a soul. Your soul is also triune, which is your mind, your thinking faculties, your will, and your emotions. So you have a body which holds your spirit. And you have a soul, that's where you function out of, that's how you think, your emotions, that's your mind, that's your will. Fasting covers all those. Look at the body. Look at, look at your neighbor and say, your body could use a little strengthening. Just tell them, Just, your body could. <laughs> oh, they're not going to do it, Joseph. They're not willing to do it. Man, it's so fun. I get to say all that and I don't have to put myself in a hole there. So, 
Back to the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Husband and wives, you may be in trouble now. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Everyone who competes in the games, verse 25, exercises self-control in all things. That's what fasting is. It's self-control in all things. Those who compete in games do it to receive a perishable crown, a perishable prize. But we are being self-controlled to receive a crown and a prize that is imperishable, something that will not fade away. Verse 26. Therefore, I run in such a way, not as without aim. He's not running aimless in his walk with God. I box in such a way. I'm not buffeting the air, beating the air. I'm not shadow boxing. But I discipline my body. Verse 27. I discipline my body like an athlete. I discipline my body. Notice this here. To train it what it should do. Another translation that I read in the NASB says, To make it my slave. You should be the master of your body. When we fast, it is proving to the body that I am in charge. The body is not in charge. I am in charge. At the office I work at during the week, it's like the devil is like tempting me over time because somebody brought in a giant box of like donuts. And it's like every day there's like little miniature cupcakes and then apple pies. And I have to walk right by that table to get to my office. And one day, Carrie, just walking out of habit, I felt my body going like this. Just, and I was like, no, no, no. I was, I was training my body. I was bringing my, I, I didn't, I was like, oh, I was like drawn like a magnet. I was like, ooh, cookies, cookies, you know. I was drawn to it. And then I was like, no, get over here. And I pulled myself by the ear like my grandmother used to do. And I was like, no, I'm bringing my body into subjection. We need to learn how to control our bodies. I want to say this in a kind manner. If you cannot fast unto God as unto the Lord and do without some kind of food on a periodic basis, you will never have the willpower to resist sin. If you can't give that over to the Lord, you're not fasting for yourself. But if you can't do that as under the Lord, you will never have the power to resist sin. Heard a story of a man who signed up for a dieting plan. And uh, the woman, the nutritionist, was helping him, writing out what they could eat, not eat. He needed to lose weight, be more healthy. And she, he said, well, what do I do if I need something sweet? You know, if I want something sweet, what do I do? And I can't stand it. She said, well, take a little bag of M&Ms and open the bag and get out one M&M. And eat it, and that'll help you. He said, woman, if I could just eat one M&M, I wouldn't be here. (laughs) I wouldn't need you, praise God. He says, otherwise, after I have preached to others, I might myself be disqualified. If we can't learn to, another translation says, I buffet my body. Some, Some Christians think that means I buffet my body, praise God. I buffet my body. I bring it into subjection. I control my my flesh. If we cannot learn to do that on a small level, we will never be able to resist temptation. Uh, So that is how it helps our body. Now, Philippians 2, 5. This is how it helps our soul. Philippians chapter 2 and actually verse, uh, yeah, verse 5. Let this attitude, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility. How many of you know and have read where Jesus fasted? Many times in the New Testament we see Jesus fasting. Meshach, he's our example. So if I want the attitude, where where is your attitude? It's in your mind. It's in your soul. It's in your emotions. It's in your will. So if I want to have the attitude of Christ then I must follow the example in his humility. You are never more humble than when you are fasting. And I'm going to show you that from scriptures. The Amplified says this, Let the same attitude, the same purpose, humility, the same mind be in you, which is in Christ. So fasting helps our body. Fasting helps our soul. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. We read this last week, but I want to see it again. It says, Do not be conformed. Do not be transformed to the behaviors and customs of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When I'm giving myself to the Lord through fasting and through prayer, consecrating my life to Him, it is a way that I can renew my mind and do the things of God. So that's our body. That's our soul. Now what about our spirit? Look at John chapter 4. Again, I'm going to show you something maybe you've never seen. I felt like the Holy Spirit really showed me this, and I'd never seen this before, so I want to show you this. So Jesus is ministering to the woman at the well. 
Remember, it's that lady that had five husbands, and the one that she was with now wasn't even her husband, and he told her all these things, and she went to the town and became the first evangelist and told everybody what Jesus had done, and, and the whole city came and rejoiced. And, and so now the disciples heard about this. They were not there with Jesus, and they show up on the scene a little bit later. Look at this. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. Why were they urging him to eat something? It's my opinion after studying this, looking at the context, listening to the Holy Spirit. I can't prove this. I can't, I can't say this is emphatically what the Bible says, but I have a suggestion in my spirit this could be the case. Rabbi, please eat something. We don't see the disciples really pushing Jesus to eat something unless maybe he had been on a fast. Maybe he had been fasting and coming off of that. They could tell he was weak. They could tell maybe Jesus was a little hangry. I'm going to show you here. I think Jesus was a little hangry. I'm just going to show you. I'm just going to show you. So they said, Master, Jesus, eat something. Satisfy your flesh. Satisfy your body. You're a little hangry, Jesus. You could use a Snickers bar. Let me show you. I'm not teaching blasphemy today, okay? Although you may think, look at verse 32. I want you to see this. Jesus said, I have food to eat that you do not even know about. I've got food and nourishment. Can you go back, John 4, 32? Oh, there we go. Thank you. I've got food that you know nothing about. Look at verse 33. So the disciples said to one another, what food is he talking about? Did someone bring him food? Did someone bring Jesus food? And no one brought him anything to eat. Now look at verse 34. Look at what Jesus said. Here we go. Ready? Look at verse 34. Jesus said, My food and my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me to finish his work. He says, Boys, I don't need your fish and chips. My nourishment. Now he he ate. We understand that. But in this instant, he's saying, My nourishment for my spirit comes from doing the will of him who sent me, from finishing his work. Ephesians 3.16 says that God can grant us through his power to be strengthened with might in our inner man. Your inner man, your inner spirit can be strengthened. And fasting is a way that this can happen. Is this helping anybody today? I hope this is good. Number five, fasting increases my humility. Fasting increases my humility. Now, let me define humility. Humility is not being inadequate. Humility is not, oh, poor little old wretched me. Humility is not inadequacy, but it's dependency. Humility means I'm dependent upon God as my source. I recognize God as my source. I recognize God owns everything, and He's given things to me to be a manager and a steward. And so the Bible says God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. How many of you think we should increase our humility? Fasting does this. Leviticus 23. We're going all the way to Leviticus, praise God. I want you to see this in verse 32. This is about the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 23, 32. Notice here on the screen it says, It shall be a Sabbath of complete rest to you, and you shall humble your souls. And if you study Yom Kippur, if you study the Day of Atonement, this was the day of the fast. He's talking about fasting. How do we humble our souls? By fasting. Fasting humbles our souls. Number six, and as we, as we humble our souls, we draw near to God. God promotes the humble. He resists the proud. Humility is how we draw close to God. Number six, fasting increases my awareness. This is where I want to land this plane today. And sensitivity for the Holy Spirit. Fasting increases my awareness and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. I meant to bring a radio in here today. And just with everything going on, I I forgot to, to grab it. But do you know, listen to this very closely. There are pictures in the air right now. Do you know that? Other than these, can you see them? There are voices right now. In the air. If I had a radio and I meant to bring one, I was going to plug it in, turn it on, I was going to adjust that antenna. I was like, do we still have one of those things? How many of you still have an old school antenna radio? Now you get it on your phone and all that. But you could dial in 1077, listen to some country music. You could dial, turn that dial just right, and you could pick up Sports Talk 99.1. You could dial that NTC just right to 88.3, and you could listen to K Love. There are words right now and and songs in the air 
but we can't hear them because we're not tuned to the frequency. If I had a, an over-the-air antenna, I could turn it on and pro, pro, plug this in, and I could dial up Channel 10 News, and there are images right now. I could pull up Channel 8 local. There are pictures in the air, but I can't see them because I'm not tuned to the frequency. Fasting tunes your spirit to the frequency of God. Fasting allows you to hear from God. It increases your sensitivity to hear from the Lord. How many of you would be honest and say, I've had times and I'll be the first one. I've had times in my life where I don't feel like I could hear from God. I've had times in my life where I felt like I had no direction. When you fast and give yourself over to the Lord, you're tuning in your spiritual frequency to hear what heaven says. Heaven has a word for you in this place. Heaven has a picture for you in this place. God could give you a picture of your future right now. The picture of your future is out there. How do I know what's my future? Tune into the frequency. And we do that through praying and fasting. Look at Acts chapter 13. This is good. Can somebody else get excited? Please, this is, I'm up here all alone today. Look at Acts chapter 13. Now there were at Antioch and the church their prophets and teachers. Let's go on down to verse 2. <laughs> and we see Saul, who is later Paul. We know him as Paul. Notice this here in verse 2. While they were ministering and fasting, the Lord said. Notice this here. While they were ministering and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Now I want to show you two things maybe you've never seen before. Ministering here is actually the word serving and worshiping. So here, the emphasis is not on prayer, but it's an emphasis on just the discipline of fasting. It's an emphasis on worshiping and ministering to the Lord. The Holy Spirit said, set apart. So they're in this church at Antioch. Paul's been there over a year. Things are going great. He's a part of the church. He's in leadership. And they're praying and fasting. And, and I wonder how it happened, Joseph. Maybe there were some people in the room like this. And maybe God, through the Holy Spirit, spoke to one of the elders and said, I'm about to send Paul and Barnabas out. Joseph got a little bit nervous, like, oh, my, I can't say that. They're, 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 man, they're in the church here. They're ministering. I need them. And over here, God began to speak to another one. And, and then over here, how did it come out? You know how the Holy Spirit speaks to people? Through people. Somebody stood up and said, hey, brothers, I, I've got a, we're going to dismiss this prayer meeting today, this worship meeting. We're going to dismiss. Anybody have anything they want to say? Well, brother, I've I got to say something. I, uh, look, y'all weigh this, y'all pray this, but I just sense real strong. I can't help it, but I sense it. The Holy Spirit senses it. Man, he's going to send out Paul and Barnabas. And then you, <gasps> there's a big gasp because this is Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is the encourager. He's the chief encourager. Paul's the chief teacher. <gasps> You're going to send them away? You know what? He's right. I was over here praying and I sensed that. Hey, you know what? Uh, I got the same thing in my heart. And they begin to share. But notice this. This is so good. You've never seen this before probably. Separate Paul and Barnabas. Send them out for the work to which I've called them. Look at verse 3. This is so powerful. And so when they had fasted and prayed, they heard from God, but they didn't just do it immediately. They were worshiping and fasting. And then they said, you know what? This is a big decision. This is a major life change. We need to now pray and fast. So they didn't just hear immediately and then go. They took another season and they prayed now and they fasted. And then they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. They heard what the Holy Spirit wanted to do during a time of prayer and fasting. Fasting privately, as we close this today, brings public reward. Fasting privately, seeking God privately, brings an open reward. Back at Matthew chapter 6, let's look at verse 16. We alluded to this, but now I want you to see it in context. This is when you give, when you pray, same passage. He says, and when you fast, notice it doesn't say if. Most Christians treat that as if. Can we be honest? Some Christians treat it, and if you give, ooh, look out. We've already received the offering. You can let go of your wallet, amen? Or if you pray. No, Jesus said when. Jesus assumed his followers would give. Followers would fast. He said, and when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable 
So people will admire them for their fasting. I mean, I've never looked at somebody miserable and admired them. This was a different culture, but this was a show to them. They were just fasting publicly, and they would come in, and they would be downtrodden. What's wrong, brother? Oh, I'm fasting today. You know, they would just, you know, they would wear it as a badge of honor. They felt like they were earning God's love. And it says, I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they're going to get. That little, oh, I feel so bad for you. You're such a spiritual man. Oh, you're such a good little Christian. You're such a good little disciple. You're such a good little Pharisee. You're such a good little law follower. You're such a good little churchgoer. I wish I could be like you. That's all the reward they're going to receive. So Jesus said, verse 17, but when you fast, comb your hair. Can I have an Amen. There is Bible scripture for you to comb your hair. Praise God. Don't come in here with your hair not combed. I've got Bible that you should comb your hair. Amen. Wash your face. Somebody say, praise God. We're not. Now, listen, when Daniel fasted in Daniel chapter 1, we see it on through Daniel 10. It says he didn't wash or anoint himself with oil. We're not incorporating that into the church. Can I have an amen? Please take a bath. We're not fasting showers. Notice here, Jesus said, when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face. Verse 18, so no one will notice that you're fasting. No one will notice that you're fasting. No one may ever know that you're fasting except. Who notices fasting? God. You may think, oh, I'm doing all this giving, praying. I'm fasting. Nobody knows that I'm fasting. God knows. It, 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 it turns. I think there's a little alarm that goes off in heaven. Woo, 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 woo. We got a faster. We've got a faster. Heaven is notified when we fast. Who notices? Whose attention does fasting get? God's. Except your Father in heaven. Who knows what you do in private? God knows what you do in private. We'll just let that settle. That you're not hiding anything from God, good or bad. But your father who sees everything will reward you. In the original Greek language, it actually says openly, publicly. Your father who sees in private will reward publicly. Your father notices fasting. How many of you would like to get God's attention? Man, Joseph, I want God's attention. I need his attention on my marriage. I need his attention in our church. I need his attention on my finances. I need his attention on my peace and my joy and my, my not being guilty and depressed. And I need his attention in my body and on my health. And I need his attention on my safety and protection. I need the attention of the Lord, ladies and gentlemen. Last scripture, Matthew 17. This man brought to the disciples a boy, his son, who was demon-possessed. He threw himself into the fire, threw himself into the water. The disciples did their little thing they do, prayed for him, and nothing happened. The disciples, who had healed many people, Brooke, who had cast out many demons by this point, nothing happened. There's a whole sermon there. What do you do when nothing happens? They prayed and nothing happened. So, they, so the man's like, well, forget y'all, I'm going to him. Hey, don't bring all your problems to me. Bring them to Jesus, Amen. I'll help you all that I can, but I'm just a man. Jesus is our answer. I'm not your answer. Jesus is our answer. Notice this here. So I brought him to your disciples, Matthew 17, 16. And they could not cure him. Verse 17, Jesus answered, You unbelieving, perverted generation. Remember I talked about Jesus being hangry? I think he was coming off a fast. I think Jesus was hangry right here. He said, You perverted and unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? Look what Jesus said. How long shall I put up with you? I could see him kicking the can. And how, come on, how long should I put up with you all? No, not sweet Jesus. Jesus sits and rubs lambs and picks up children. And no, Jesus turns over tables of hundreds of business people because they had made the temple an idol with a whip. He was a bad dude. Jesus was a manly man, kind of like your pastor. He's a manly man. Thank you. Thank you for that. That wasn't a joke. What, 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 what? Notice here. How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. Verse 18. So he rebuked the, 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 the demon. 
And the demon came out, and the boy was cured at once. Verse 19, the disciples were embarrassed. They came to Jesus in private later that night at dinner. They're like, hey, Jesus, why could we not drive out this demon? I want to show you something. You ready? Verse 20, Jesus said, because of the littleness of your faith, because of the size of your unbelief is what he's saying. Because you've got more unbelief in your heart than you have faith. Because notice this here. If you have the faith the size of a grain as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, look at the next screen, be moved from here and it will move and nothing shall be impossible to you. Because of the littleness of your faith, because of the greatness of your doubt, the greatness of your unbelief, this kind, and again, in the original language, it refers back to unbelief. I've heard people say my whole life, you know, only certain demons can come out by prayer and fasting. Only certain sicknesses can come out by fasting. Because Jesus said this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. He's not talking about this kind of demon. Every single demon is subject to a word, a word from Jesus. Every single demon is subject to a word. It's not this kind of demon comes out. TC, it's this kind of unbelief, this kind of doubt. This kind of littleness of faith, this kind of unbelief and doubt only comes out by prayer and fasting. It tunes my heart to the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? So real quick as we close, how can you practically fast? Just hit some quick bullet points on on how to be healthy when you fast. Let me just say the process of fasting is no fun, but the rewards are worth it. When you fast, you're going to feel hangry. You're going to get irritable. When you fast, you're not used to it. You're going to feel foggy mentally. You're going to feel hunger pains. You may get a headache. You may have lack of energy. You may be cranky. Next time your husband or wife is cranky, you say, Are you fasting? You must be. Are you seeking God? You must be fasting because you're really cranky today. So number one, write this down in your notes. Number one, decide what kind of fast you want to do. Just real quick, decide what kind of fast you want to do. You need to write it down. Look at your neighbor and say, write it down. Because it's a plan. Plans are more easily followed when they're on paper. Write it down. Am I going to do the Daniel fast? Daniel, for 21 days, didn't eat any meat or any sweets. We call that the no meats, no sweets fast. He only ate vegetables and water. Am I going to do a total fast? Am I going to just drink water? Am I going to do a fast with just juice? Or or am I going to fast one day a week my lunchtime and just dedicate that time to praying and seeking the Lord? Decide what kind of fast. How long am I going to fast? Start slow and build up to it. If you're in this room today and you've never fasted, don't get out of here and say, I'm starting a 32-day fast. Praise God, you will fail on day two. I'm just saying. And Satan will do everything he can to make you fast make you fall and listen how many of you can we be honest how many of you have ever been on a fast and broke it too early i'm the only one nobody okay i'm the only one how many you're the only one that fast pastor apparently (laughs) how many of you have ever broken a fast too early how many of you felt like a little piece of dirt because you did it let me encourage you if you break the fast get back on You know what? My kids on Saturday forgot, did something, broke their fast they're doing. So Noah, out of his good little heart, and then he forced Ava into following. He said, we'll just add a day to it. Ain't that right, Ava? She said, well, I guess we'll just add a day to it. So It's their grandparents' fault. They broke the fast, praise God. I'm I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. I'm really just teasing. They were so sweet. We're on our fast. They had all kinds of fruit for us. It was so nice. They knew. And my, my mother cooked dinner the other night. And she's like, because the kids aren't, and Tara can't do the no meats because she's with baby and all that. And baby needs meat. Can I have an amen? And so my mom's like, she cooked all these vegetables for me. She's like, so I was like, this is so accommodating. I just feel like everybody's just helping me and accommodating me. And it was just so nice. But if you break it, if you eat that Twinkie, if you, if you do... Listen, don't let it condemn you and get you down. Get back up and let that motivate you. Say, you know what? I did. I gave up. But by, by God's grace and His power, I'm going to see this commitment through. Start slowly. Build. Start with one meal a day. Maybe go to two meals a day. Then work your way up to three meals a day. Come off the fast slowly. Watch your metabolism. Do some research. I'm not a doctor. See Dr. Jamie. He can tell you all about what you need to do. I'm not a doctor. But you need to make sure that you're doing this healthy. Consult your, consult your physicians. So forth and so on.
One thing we want to do to help you is Tito graciously brought in several free books and Christian resources today to give you. Can we encourage Tito? What a generous man. Wanted to give you that to help you in this 21 days of consecration. So we've got 14 days left. So I'm going to just ask you right now if you just close your eyes with me. What kind of fast is the Lord calling you to over these next 14 days? The whole point, I've got to say this, this needs to be so true in our hearts. I want this to be the last thing you hear, honestly. The point of fasting is pressing into God. That's what makes fasting powerful. That's how it changed even the life of Jesus. It's pressing in to God. With everybody praying at your seat for just a minute, let me just talk to your heart for a second. You've been in this room today, and we've been talking about fasting and a, a walk with God, drawing close to God. Maybe, maybe in your heart you feel like you're a million miles away from our Heavenly Father. Maybe you feel like you've sinned so far. Maybe you're listening online or watching online. Maybe you feel like you have, you've fallen so far that God could never pick you up. I want you to know that there is always room at the cross. Jesus has His arms open saying, I will receive you, I will forgive you. If you're in this place this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, today would be the greatest day of your life to start. You can have a fresh start. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But even in our weakness, even in our sin, Christ died for us. And you can receive Him. Let's all pray this together. And let's all pray it out loud. I'm going to give you some words to say. And I want you to add faith to it. Let them become alive in your heart. Say it out loud with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for giving me what I do not deserve. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. And I believe you raised him from the dead in three days. As total payment for my sin. So sin and Satan, I turn my back on you. Lord Jesus, I turn to you. I ask you to forgive me. Cleanse me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a brand new start. In Jesus' name. Now every head bowed, every eye closed still. If you said that prayer today for the very first time and you meant it, or maybe you said that prayer when you were a child or as a kid and walked away from the Lord, didn't really take your decision to follow Christ seriously, the Bible says you must acknowledge Him publicly. You must tell somebody about making a commitment to Jesus. Would you tell me publicly? Nobody else is looking around. Just slip up your hand right now. Anybody in the room say, Pastor James, that's me. I just prayed that for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time to come back to the Lord. Anybody at all? Amen. We've got a sweet, sweet person here today. Anybody else say, that's me. Let's take one more minute and pray. Father, thank you for the sweet person who raised their hand to say, I want to follow you. I just pray that this be the best day of their life. Father, I pray that you send new friends in, new people to help and love and support. Help this person grow in their walk with you. Lord, let them know here is a church family that's committed to loving and praying and serving and helping. And Lord, I just thank you that, that this seed that was planted today will bear fruit in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Everybody look back up with me. So the whole point of fasting is drawing near to God. When you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for this word. Seal it in every heart and every mind. I bind every devil that would come and steal it. In Jesus' name. Amen.